Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Ben Worthy, the podcast, a special conversation series that provides a safe space for women of color to share their worthy aha moment. I'm your host, Dominique Clark. And sis, I'm here to remind you that you've been worthy. Hey, Ben Worthy Beauties, and happy new year, y'all. We've made it to 2024, and I'm excited. I'm excited for the year and what it will bring, but I'm really excited, super excited that you're still here with me rocking out. And if you are new here, welcome. I welcome you into our family. This is a safe space as it was shared in the introduction, um, usually reserved for women to share their worthy aha moment. But after listening to conversations over the last year and stories that were shared, I realized that it's honestly a lot more than that. Like this is a space to share, yes, but it's also a space to discover more of who you are and who God created you to be and a space that gives you permission and ignites the audacity for you to go out and achieve that um, and be that girl. And so, yeah. I'm excited. Of course, I have another incredible woman to share with you with an even better story um, that I can't wait to dig into. And she goes by the name of Yazara. Uh, She has some background for some of our favorites like Erica Badu, Lenny Kravitz, and Madonna. Um, Her hit single, Running, was featured in the Netflix series, She's Gotta Have It, which was one of my favorite shows at the time. Um, But she also has an amazing album out right now. that is the vocal story of her current battle to have custody of her son, Miles. And so not only does she have an incredible voice, she is a beautiful spirit and has an even more powerful story to share. And I'm glad that you'll get a glimpse of that on this episode. So girl, if you're new here, I want you to stick around. Go ahead and subscribe, like, join the conversation on YouTube, and I can't wait to hear your perspective on all things Ben Worthy Pod. Take a listen. Okay, Yadala, I am super thrilled to be here with you. Um, I love, like I shared with you already, learning about your story. I am such a fan of yours. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's always good to hear because as an artist, you wonder if you're making impact, if anybody's paying attention to what you're doing, you know? So that means a whole lot when I meet somebody who is new and turned on by what I do. So that's absolutely. (laughs) How's your spirit today? Um, it's grateful. Mm. Grateful. Um, you know, my body is agreeing with me as it's living. It doesn't fight me. My legs carry me places. Um, I have a mother who is alive and well and a son who is on the way to thriving. Um, I get to make music for a living. It's my only job. Like I have so many things to be grateful for. The things that are in contrast, you know, they don't even have weight. What a word already. We haven't even started yet. I love that. And what a lesson in gratitude that was. I appreciate that. And I'm just going to say the same thing. I'm super grateful. I have a spirit of gratitude as well today. I woke up this morning and just thank God that I get to do these things. Um, Not everybody gets to do this, but I'm thankful that I get to do these things, have amazing conversations with dope Black women like you, be a mother, um, be a friend, you know, be a supporter, be a cheerleader. And I'm just super excited that we're getting ready to have this conversation because I feel like through your story and just with that one opening line, it will certainly bless a lot of people um, and not only help people reconnect with themselves, but a higher power. So one of the things I just have to mention because this was not planned um, or maybe it did become planned is our hats for those who are watching. (laughs) (laughs) This is the hidden progress right here, see? 
So I love that y'all were joining me with my hat because I was having a really bad hair day and I was like, hat or not? And she's like, let's do hats. So here we are with our hats. (laughs) I hope you like them. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump in. One thing I didn't realize was that you lived in Durham for a stint of time. Yes, I actually went to college at North Carolina Central University. Yes. I'm very proud to say that I didn't finish because I ended up going on the road with Erica Badu my sophomore year. And I tried to hold on. I made dance <laughs> for the last two years and then I had to just go. Um, but it became my home. Yes. It really did start there. Um, I got married. I had a baby there. I got divorced. <laughs> a lot of uh, different iterations of me took place there. And so I always called Durham my second home, like the place, DC is the place where I was born and was prepared. And Durham was the place I grew up. So I grew up in Durham, um, which is why I was so excited, Bull City, to see that that connection. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Um, But yeah, I grew up in Durham, originally from New York, um, but I was raised in Durham, had got married in Durham, had my children, well, my first two in Durham, I'm a mom of three. And um, yeah, my family, some of my family members graduated, graduated from Central. And so we love MCCU. (laughs) Yes, yes. So (laughs) I was going to ask you, what was one of your best moments there? But it sounds like you've had so many. (laughs) I've had so many. I I love to say that my life has been very serendipitous. So Mm -hmm. when I was at Duke Ellington, I was in a band called Hidden Image and we performed all over the city. Um, under the school's banner, we were called the Split Second Band. And so we called ourselves Hidden Image so we could perform at clubs. Yeah. And, um, what ended up happening is I applied to several different colleges. I was separate, accepted to Berkeley College of Music, wow. um, Carnegie Mellon, Juilliard, and um, North Carolina Central University as well as Howard. And um, my whole band got full scholarships to North Carolina Central University. And I thought that that was a sign from God yeah. that it was time for me to... Um, lift my body out of this place, DC, which, you know, when I was growing up had extreme color cast. So I kind of grew up um, conflicted looking in the mirror saying, I know I'm beautiful, but everybody keeps telling me either I'm ugly or I'm stupid unless I'm singing and I need to go someplace else so I can get confirmation of what I'm seeing in the mirror and no one is going on in my mind is the truth. And what I'm hearing out here, it has to be the lie. So you know, God gave me that scholarship and I, I would have gone to Juilliard, but I didn't want to study classical music anymore. Um, I would have gone to Carnegie Mellon, but it just, I wanted to be in a city or I wanted to be with my friends. And, you know, here it is, the one girl in an all-male band and we all go to Central in this huge caravan. And, and, and you know, that's where my story begins. Yeah. So you said sophomore years when it really took off for you was that about the same for all of you and your your band members did you all have your big breaks from central um I think I think I was the first to splash out of the pool as far mm-hmm. as my band is concerned um my bass player who was also my longtime crush I wrote my one of my first love songs called damn guitar about him <laughs> uh he went on to play for Roy, Roy Hargrove Roberta right. Flack a number of people we're still good friends to this day and he fell in love with my cousin and had a long time relationship. <laughs> You know, if you go down, if you know, go down to Durham, if you make yeah. your way down south and you're going to school someplace, you're going to find out you have a relative that you didn't think you had. Okay. And so my cousin is an incredible singer named Tamisha Waden. She's from Durham, North Carolina. Uh, she put out a single in her teens called Power in the Praise, and now she's doing incredible soul music. And she also took my place in the foreign exchange for some t- for a little while. Wow. So. Yes, yes. So, you know, we kept it in the family and um, she's an incredible vocalist and we ended up meeting in choir and then finding out we were cousins yeah. after they started dating, which was hilarious. And <laughs> so we were like, we keeping it in the family. I mean, yes. <laughs> so you know, it, it was a big deal for me. And I was in a uh, music industry class uh, with a man named Chip Shearing who played uh, for the Sugar Hill Band. So if you're there, boom, 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 boom. That's my professor, Chip Shearing, and uh, Brenda Hamden, which was this incredible doctor of music and of law, teaching this music industry class to us. And um, my first record, Hear Me, was in fact a class project. I was already singing background for Erica at the time. Yeah. And um, I went and I did this demo at my boyfriend at the time's uh, family's house. They lived in Seattle and I played the keys on everything and did the drums and, you know, they put their sprinkles on it. And so it was the first time I worked with a producer, you know, producing a track on my own and writing everything um, in place. And so I went back to to class, all my 
you know, friends at school were loving it. And my teacher, Chip, just tore it to pieces. Now, <laughs> I put a finger in that because sometimes people like to break something down because they're actually too insecure to just simply say they want to do something with you. Mm. So they'll burn something at the stake that doesn't need to be burned at the stake so that you think that you need them in order to repair something about what it is that you do or love. And so, you know, I, I, I'm not no fool with at the age I am okay. now, that that was what was happening because them songs were banging. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up going into his studio and my very first uh, project was basically a diary about my you know, um, I guess I would call my adult puberty, which is, you mm -hmm. know, those ages between like 18 and, and 26 to me are adult puberty because first you become a teenager and then all of a sudden you have these layered experiences as an adult and you thought you had it all together. You know, you discover, I, I actually think you kind of feel like a big kid until you've reached maybe your mid thirties, early forties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the older you get, the less people can make you believe lies they tell you about themselves and so um you know here me is this virgin voyage into me discovering myself hearing a few lies clearing those out the room uh falling in love getting my heart broken for the first time and coming of age and all the time I was writing it between um Electric Lady Studios and Durham because I was also singing backgrounds and doing arrangements for um Erica Badu's Mama's Gun I was only 21 yeah. years old yeah um, also at the time, I was in the music industry class with the man who would then later be Ninth Wonder. Uh, Ooh, we love Ninth Wonder. We love you know, Fonte Pooh. Yeah. Um, Rockington was my choir brother. And so, you know, we all came up together and I was the first one to jump out of the pool, you know. Yeah. Um, so I would be back and forth from my dorm to Erica and then back to class every day, which was you know, it's a mind, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it can screw the mind up because the one minute I'm at the Grammys and the next minute I'm at, like in the calf at chicken day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a cram for a test. Um, but it was an incredible time. And I had a chance to start a grassroots movement through that, through that record. And it took me all over the world. And I'm actually about to do a revival yeah. of that because it was before it's time. Yeah. And it's right on time. And, you know, I'm going to hopefully be able to do that and then introduce people to my newer music, the new emergence of me. So singing background as a sophomore in college is huge, right? Like it's, who's doing that, right? <laughs> I do love all, all people, right? Right. What did that moment tell you about yourself? Uh, you know, at that time, I felt very invincible, mm -hmm. um, as young people do. And I still consider myself very young, but I mean, that's my early youth. Um, in my yeah. 20s, I felt very invincible, my early 20s. And then, of course, certain things happen to like mess with that invincibility we learn as children in our early adult puberty. And then we carry that 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 damage with us yeah. throughout until we have the opportunity to take a healing journey. Um, but what I did learn from that is that what was the confirmation of what I always got when I sung, people listened. Mm. And when I was born, I was born to my mother and she was told she could never have a baby. And, you know, us black folks are going to get our hands laid on us. And my mother went to what you would call a, a um, African Baptist, what we call Shango Baptist Church. Yeah. And so I had a Yoruba christening. And so when my feet hit the ground, my godfather at the time said that I would be a musician and a muse and that I would travel the world. And so I kind of always grew up you know, prophesy, you know, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always grew up with this identity that made me understand that I was here for a purpose and singing at church kind of let me know that, you know, my voice could change your heart, but I still always understood that it was, wasn't me. It wasn't until I started singing on stages and I had my first performance at the age of 10 at the Kennedy center, you know, in the opera hall where I was like, Oh God, I think I actually love the roar and the applause of the crowd. So you know, when I ended up with Erica, which was serendipitous, I had a, a, a teacher at Duke Ellington who had an old school choir, and I had just literally had to threaten to sue my school at the time um, for discrimination because I decided to go natural and I was in a choir wow. uh, with a choir director who said, if we were an all African band, maybe you could have, you know, an African choir, you could have braids, but okay, um, you can't. And this is, you know, it's a black school and a, all black choir. And, you know, it was a really 
And he would say things to me like, you know, you don't have to graduate. You don't have any talent. And nobody ever saw me sing in a senior recital the entire time I was in a recital until my senior year. So I had teachers who didn't even know I could sing. So mm-hmm. all my positive reinforcement came from that understanding, that inner knowing and self-encouragement. And also my peers who were like, this man's crazy girl. I'm telling yeah. you, you know, writing my first songs and performing at Duke Ellington when I was still at Alice Dill Junior High School, you know, in my first production as a lead. So my entire life, I've been getting the the positive confirmation from spirit that I'm supposed to be here doing what I'm doing. It's in fact, when I've ever tried to do anything else but music that I've failed. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I love that you brought this up because I was going to ask you about that very moment of being prophesied over. Um, You knew at an early age that you were destined to be an artist, to be in music. Um, but then, you know, there's things that happen in life. We know there's ebbs and flows and stuff that challenges us. And there was one thing that I saw that I read that you said, um, because we know that the industry has a way of taking away the, the valuable pieces of who you are. You said, I didn't know who I was. So they had the opportunity to walk in and tell me when and where to enter. Yes. Who did you think you were before that point? And who are you now? Um, Invincible. And I tell you why. I always tell this story. And when I tell the story, it embodies the spirit in which I walked into my art, whatever it is. I've I've just been born to make art. Um, But I've always believed in the power of the unknown. And so when I was uh, eight years old, I, I went to my church's school and there used to be this little incline that would give you just a little dip of air, you know, when you kind of run, take a running leap, and then you jump off of something. And so I believed I could fly. Mm. So for several weeks, I would take this running leap off of this little, you know, incline, and the kids were laughing at me. But one day, one day, I held air. And they saw me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all the other kids were tying their coats around their necks and trying to do the same thing. (laughs) They saw me float for a moment they saw me hover for just a second enough to believe that I was a miracle and that miracles were possible and I always grew up knowing I was a miracle and believing that because of that miracles were possible I taught myself how to figure skate when I was five I got accepted to Duke Ellington for visual arts dance theater and music so you know the one thing I always knew is I might not cure cancer necessarily but my voice may soothe the heart that will. The art I create, whether I'm directing or doing art direction or acting or singing or or in ministry to other people through mental health work that I do, mm-hmm. it's all a piece of this um, inner knowing that I'm here for a reason that's bigger than myself. Yeah. Now, yeah. I didn't know you, you did work in mental health. Can we talk about that for a little bit? What are you doing? Uh, well, right now, um, due to some of the experiences I've had in my own life, um, I've known how a person's personal life and their art um, can, you know, sometimes not everything is going up at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves lies about ourselves that lead to damage um, in our in our personal lives. Um, I've had several women that I know uh, who I care a great deal about take their lives as a result of their unhappiness. Uh, with their lives as a result of the work that they've done in the music industry that's trickled into their personal lives with no place to break open and be vulnerable. Because as an artist, like, what retreat are you going to go on if someone knows your music? Yeah. I- I've gone to an ayahuasca ceremony and walked in and there were at least six people who knew my music. And it was hard for me mm. to be able to crack open. And at the time, I just had fibroid surgery and really needed a place <laughs> to yeah. be safe. Not just Gazara, but Beverly's only daughter, Dana. Mm. Traumas, the woman who got married and then got divorced, you know, who who was divorced while pregnant and who was told she would fail. The girl who was told she would fail. All these things that I I wanted to be able to crack open and have snot running down my nose and fall prostrate on the floor during my alcohol ceremony, but I couldn't. And then at some point, someone asked me to sing. And I was like, Mm. this I can't be the only one who needs to open, you know, like I've been considered for Grammy in six categories. I've traveled the world and made music, but still none of that made me feel like I was worthy after, you know, losing my marriage and then having to trade places with my ex-husband, with my son, because he was not willing to be supportive of my art um, and pretended to be so to take my child. Um, 
you know, and not to take, but, you know, put me in a position where I had to give him up. Hey, I'm never going to pay you any child support. Mm -hmm. uh, might as well let me take him so I can support you for two years and then I'll give him back. Never getting my child back. The level of layers of mental um, abuse, financial abuse that I experienced that made me question my self-worth, being on labels that would tell me, hey, you're going to tell light-skinned girls that they're more than a pretty face and dark-skinned girls that maybe they might just be beautiful after all. Yeah. What? Huh? We yeah. signed you because of, not because of who you are, but because of who we could design you to be. I'm not the only woman in this world who makes art who is experiencing these things who have had people weaponize the very thing they love against them or weaponize the very thing they love against themselves. Yeah. So, um, and I've committed myself to creating spaces for Black women specifically in this industry to have a safe space to crack open. I work often with different practitioners, um, one of them, Hadia Barbell, um, Chef Asinki in um, Atlanta, Georgia, um, Soleil, who's a former artist, was married to Genuine and now does also mm -hmm. does healing work. And so in 2024, I will be hosting my very first uh, retreat. And so I have a, a philanthropic arm called the Big Two Brew. Basically, it's my outreach to women throughout the diaspora. Um, yeah. I make alternative. And so I, my intention is to put them on stages through a festival. Um, but during the pandemic, because of course we couldn't be on stages and that was when I was going to do it yeah. <laughs> real big and everything all of a sudden got real small, um, <laughs> started working in NFTs and NFTs mm. um, paid my bills and fed my family and kept me in the game. Yeah. And so I met quite a few people there and I, saw, I started saying to myself, what if other artists um, who didn't think that this was a pyramid scheme could discover what they could create to have patrons of their art through NFTs. Wow. And, you know, for some people, NFTs are a piece of digital real estate, but for me, it's a bit more. It is an opportunity. It's like a key to a relationship with me that gets you three shows a year and merch from me. And then Zooms where I sometimes do performances or people get to hear the next new song I'm going to do. Yeah. Thought, what if my sisters could do that? Because then they could say yes to the things they want to say yes to, self-finance projects. And also be able to say no to some of the things that are so breaking that they had to say yes to in order to be able to make money, take care of themselves or take care of the families that depend on them. And so next year, the Bitches Brew Retreat is going to happen um, with some of my sister practitioners along with myself. I'll be doing sound healing and um, some laying on of hands and work that I do. Um, and then I will have these practitioners here, Hadia Barbell, a group of my most amazing sisters will be in the house uh, in the summer of 2024 to minister to all these performers. And um, my intention is to also give away four scholarships to burgeoning artists. Oh, I love it. Yeah, who can benefit from being around us, you know, OGs. Yeah. And we're actually going to have a producer's camp. So there'll be music that's kind of birthed from these experiences we have in sisterhood. Because this in, this in, this industry loves to pit Black women against each other. Talk and about it. You don't hear about that shit. Because yeah. <laughs> you just don't hear about it. Who's beefing? <laughs> Who's zooming who? No one cares. People are just making art. And so it's my intention to continue to encourage black women to know that there's a seat at every inch of that table yes. for all of us. and that table only lengthens when we assist one another so there will be music there will be healing and in a beautiful location where women can just regroup women who work as leaders in their community can't break open in front of other leaders and not be afraid to talk about all of the things heal their little girls while they're helping other people heal their little girls out in the street like yes so many of us are healing while healing, you yes. know, that's, that's what's happening in my world as well as, you know, some film projects I'm working on and yeah. just manifesting my wildest dreams because for so long I was just stuck in this amalgamation of relationships that I thought would rescue me from the, um, hmm, would rescue me from the patriarchy of the music industry that had me mm. absolutely afraid to be uncoupled and be there alone yeah no. can so we talk about manifesting your dreams while also balancing motherhood it is mm -hmm. one of the greatest challenges that I've ever experienced because you know on one and one hand God is giving you this gift you feel powerful in it 
but yet he's also giving you the gift of motherhood and you want to show up. You want to be present and you know that when you're not in either in either bucket, you start feeling guilty. <laughs> you know, you struggle with the guilt, whether it's mom guilt or you start feeling this void when you're not in full pursuit of the gift that he's giving you. How have you navigated those feelings? Hmm. How have I navigated those feelings? Um, I have made room for every layer. Hmm. Um, I have a good therapist. Yes. Okay. That's important. <laughs> Let's start there. I, I really do encourage people who can. Yeah. Not everybody can. Just understand not everybody can. And um, get a therapist. If not, there are other healing modalities that are out there for you. Um, there are even grants. There's the Loveland vouchers that people can look for, loveland.com, um, or you can Google it. And they give free vouchers to women for mental health. Um, even if it's just a few months of mental health to get you on the right road and have um, tools. That's what I needed because people would just ask me the stupidest shit sometimes. Pardon my French. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> how do you, how do you deal with not being with your son? Aren't you an ass? So what, do, what, do people ask men that question? Okay. People never ask men that question. And they not only sometimes sacrifice their actual presence there, but also sometimes they sacrifice their very presence there while out you know doing whatever you know my father was a politician where there there's 16 of us but we're not close necessarily because he didn't make a priority of making sure that all of his children by all of the women yeah. that he had were in a unified state together you know there's so many things that we have to navigate um but one thing I'll say you know is I have other friends of mine who are female artists and I had one say to me recently, as I'm in a custody battle right now with my ex-husband, who, mm. you know, often used um, my profession to abuse me financially. You know, you have 44 months to to make it in music or I'm going to leave you, you know, and here it is, you know, I'm about to get nominated for a Grammy and I end up finding out I'm pregnant, you know, and on my way out, you know. And so, you know, I was told by a lot of people not to have my son. Uh, but I had fibroid tumors. I was in a lot of pain. And I thought to myself, if I don't bring this child into the world, I may not bring, I bring another one. And if God gave me this child after seven years of marriage and, and <laughs> not no babies were miscarriage, this child is supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. And not only did he come, but he blessed my art. He became an addition to my art. And even though I was going through, you know, what I'm going through now. Um, my son and I did it together. I was out on the road four weeks after he was born, four days after he was born. I was at the microphone singing, I can't Crazy. help, you know, singing for, for Spike Lee with my son nursing at my, at my left breast while I'm singing, I can't help it over Quincy Jones, the, the original dat recording of I can't help it. Like I just had to, yeah, it fueled me. I said, well, here it is. You know, I, I thought I did everything right. I, I got married in this all white wedding in Jamaica. Jeremiah Wright marries us. It wasn't supposed to end like this. Now I'm a single mother. Okay. But I come from four generations of women who all made it happen. Yeah. So if they did it, I can do it. And I did so. I did so until I could no longer do it, until I was no longer seeing my son and not and in New York City, not making any art. And, um, you know, my ex said to me, well, I didn't support you while we were married. Let me keep him for two years while you get on your feet and um, I'll return him. And it, it just never happened. And then all of a sudden my summers and all my retainer money and all the things I might have used to lift my life yeah. up after divorce started to be funneled into just making sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was fully active in my son's life and engaged in what he had. So he would never miss having a mother. Yeah. Um, he's very blessed to have an, a fully engaged stepmother. Um I, I just only wish that people believed that. Um, let me say this. I think that this country is weaponizing itself against motherhood in a very specific way. And um, I'm not going to say I'm a victim. I'm going to say that I've spoken to a lot of women who are in art, who are who are business women, who mm -hmm. have had their lives paths weaponized against them with the assistance of the family court system in a way that makes it hard for some women to decide to continue to do their art. Um, I've been blessed. Um, for the first couple of years, I was absolutely afraid to fight back. I just didn't feel like I'd ever have the money to do so. 
Um, but I've been blessed to continue to make my art and what, what sometimes people weaponize your children or weaponize themselves as family, whatever it may be to challenge this thing that they, that you're doing because they themselves have never done anything they dreamed to do. That's it. They're going to question every day how you can do the job of motherhood and art. And I want to say to anyone out there who is currently raising a child on their own, whether they are co-parenting, but that child is in their care, you hold on to that baby. Hold on because these court systems are not, um, if you don't have money, um, the law says you can represent yourself per se, but you will be penalized as a human being in those situations. Um, My experience has been financially abusive, (laughs) Um, had me out on the streets having to do GoFundMes to get money to pay for those for for lawyers and even having a situation with lawyers where my my money most recently ran out and I I no longer have anybody to represent me in court. And trust me, you know, I raised 16, you know, thousand dollars nearly and between therapy and flying back and forth to see my son and taking care of the business of paying my lawyer, it's gone. And I've spoke to another woman who artist who spent up to $70,000 trying to get her daughter back. It took her seven years. Um, to those of you who are in those spaces, yeah, you know, you, there are advocates, get yourself a good advocate so that whoever it is you hire also understands that you have somebody in your corner. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help for years. I was my pride got in the way here it was I'm this woman who makes this music who stands in such power on these stages yeah. and I was going through you know emotional turmoil as a married person and a lot of people didn't even know I was married financial abuse emotional abuse and then I became a mother and it became financial abuse and you know dealing with the abuses of being a co-parent who you know feels afraid to rock the boat yeah. you know you're not seeing your child anymore and um it wasn't until I had to do my own personal internal healing that said, I am worthy. Yes. I am worthy. Yes. I was worthy before. Um, and I can't be afraid of fighting for, you know, advocating for my son's right to happiness. Yeah. The inclusion of his mother in his mm-hmm. life. Um, and I say that not only for myself, but also for the men that I know who are in that situation. I have another friend of mine who had a disagreement with a woman and he never saw his kid again, you know, until the son was 18 years old. Another friend of mine that's an artist. He was on the other side of the coin where they had more funds than he yeah. had. Um, the family court system is supposed to help people, but it doesn't. And if you are an artist or an entrepreneur and, you know, it's it's a complicated thing. Yeah. Um, so I have fr- other friends of mine who are not going through those things and they have other struggles. Um, I think what is happening right now in this country, the age we're in, the way art is being assassinated, um, it's super important that we support one another. I saw a really amazing um, post by Pharrell that says, you know, in 2024, we have to start supporting yeah. each other. Yeah. Uh, even though I'm in court with my ex-husband, I recognize that part of that call to arms as a woman of color, as a black woman, is to find a way to make peace enough for us to support one another for the business that we brought into the world, which is our child. Yeah. Um, that's where our our riches as a people lie. It's with our children and we have to protect them at all costs. And as a performer and as an artist, I'm very... Um, I'm very protective of that part of my life. Yeah. My son is my biggest fan. He loves what I do. He has traveled with me all over the country. He used to be my little road manager. I'd be on the road (laughs) suitcase and (laughs) I'd have a backpack with two mommy clips because they can carry 60 pounds. And I'd be carrying my my La Leche pump on one side and then, you know, miles I'd be strapped to my chest and I'd be pushing the, the, you know, stroller with a bunch of crap in it. And I would just be moving. Yeah. Ultimately we have to be self-encouraged. So what they left, he left, she left. We are here. We are here. We got these lives and this beautiful art. And I can tell you that, you know, God will make room for it. You know, it was when I was getting the least amount of help that I got a call from my old publicist saying, Lenny Kravitz is looking for you and has been for six months and want you to audition to sing background for him. 
You know, he flew me in in the morning and had me back in time to pick up my son from the babysitter. And then after doing all that, he hired me. Yeah. And took me on the road for four years. And that truly validated my motherhood because he would talk about his own mother. Yeah. And I could see the, I could see the, the um, benefit of a child who had a self-actualized parent. Mm. And I, I'm straight a moment from this piece of advice that a good friend of mine, Terry, told me recently. And she said, how dare you walk in guilt for your gift? Because mm. she had just moved to New York and, and had to leave her daughter and son behind to be taken care of by her sister. And she said to me, she said, our children love that we're doing this. Their friends' moms ain't doing this. You're stepping out on faith right now. And your children need to see that people can take chances and win. Yeah. Your son sees you and he is proud of you. And my son is. He calls me from school. He calls me to check up on me. <laughs> more aware of what's going on, on on my page sometimes than a lot of people. Trolling <laughs> men talking about stop thirst trapping at my mama. You just <laughs> <laughs> um, he sung it with, with me at performances. And there have been times when I've struggled with intense guilt. And he said to me recently, especially when this whole court custody thing happened, he said, he looked at me, he said, look, I might be gone from now, mom, but while I am pour into you, this is a 12 year old boy, take care of you. Wow. If you don't make music, you're not doing what you came here to do. So don't quit that trying to get me back. Oh, don't you just break. Oh, I'm so grateful because yeah. um, it lets me know that despite all the financial investment it's taken to spend time with him, you know, when we were in Durham, I was at every at every school play. I talked to his teachers. I was reading to kids at class. And this is in between being on the road, you know, being performing on the world's largest stages and then flying from, you know, let's say the, the south of France into Durham just to read books to my son's class um, to homeschool him during the pandemic and watch his grades raise. Um, these are the things that said to me, okay, Yazara, you're a good mother. Yeah. And I have him say to me that, there were people in his life who would try to plant seeds against me in him saying, well, you know, trying to make it look as if I he was not a priority in my life. I'll, I will always thank God for the pandemic because he got to see his mother and be with me. It just so happened that when all hell broke loose, he was in New York on spring break. And I was flying back from being with Madonna, you know, having had having fought Delta COVID unknowingly <laughs> flying home to be with my child. And um, and while fighting and recuperating from long COVID, I homeschooled my son, watched his grades raised, helped him with projects, gave him healthy food, put him on a on a routine, and we had a time. Yeah. I watched my son's black joy increased. And I, the mother, the performer, the artist, the human, was the one separate from his father doing this work. Mm. So. All the things that he had said or anyone else had said to try to diminish my right to my to my dreams while simultaneously guiding a child through life, they immediately became white noise. Yeah. Because I understood the truth of my reality. The, the embodiment of myself is I am the eternal mother, but I'm also the eternal artist. I can be that Diana Ross video I saw where she takes a helicopter and lands on the roof and then talks about her six children. Yes. And you can too. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that. And I know that is going to speak to the hearts of so many women. You have spoken to mine because it is a struggle. I'm a mom of three girls. And when I'm away doing what I do, what I know God has blessed me to do and ordained me to do, sometimes I feel like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be home with them? But like you said, when I am home, they're getting all of me. They get me at their school lunches. They get me as chaperones on the trip. They get me supporting them. And we're doing our affirmations every morning before they walk through the school door. So they are getting that from me. Um, but yes, it is. Thank you for the reminder that we're doing a good job yeah. and doing a good job by honoring both things at the same time. And we can do it. We can do it. We can't can honor our gifts. We can't do it. They don't ask men not to honor their gifts. And they don't think twice about it either. No, and, and 
And being honest, I love to study history and social studies. This was a matriarchal society at one time. I beg to differ with many who say that women can't chew gum, walk, plow, carry a baby, fly, you know, all <laughs> over the country. Play. I mean, like, if you think about Black women, let's still think about us. Black women in America, our, our descendants were plowing fields with babies on their backs, uh, you know, working until, and it's 10 months to carry a baby, just so you, those of you who've never done it, Okay. Baby, they don't take <laughs> it ten months. Yeah. Okay. Ten. So yes, your great 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 granny walked around in possibly a plantation with a child strapped to her back, or gave birth in a field, and then went back to work. And if they could do that, surely we can make art, create foundations, yeah. um, build nations, and still be moms. It's it's been done. It's been we done. Know plenty of examples who have shown this it's only recently as our country is pretending to become more conservative again that this attack on reproductive rights and when I say reproductive rights I don't just mean the right to have a baby I mean a woman's right to reproduce her dreams to reproduce her, her goals and to be able to reproduce children whatever it is she wants to put out here in the world yeah um, so we have to be very conscious of how we support one another as women in this world because of that when you meet a woman who's a career um woman who advocates for other women don't put it down to her partnership um if you're that that mother or sister don't ask her husband or partner where she is what, who's taking care of your of her children don't do that don't be an underminer of black family or an underminer of a black mom or father uh be a be a part of their village if you're concerned about how people like are that. Able to their gift and take care of their children, then you be the person that says, hey, I know you have a rehearsal today. Uh, what's going on with your kid? Uh, or it's Christmas holidays. Uh, we're having a, par a kid's party. Uh, no, hey, you want to co-host a kid rodeo on Saturday so you can have a few hours to record? Whatever the heck it may be or yeah. paint or whatever. Um, I, I really hope that we can one day get to the back to the part in our community where we took care of one another's families and children the things that were birthed from that because black folks knew how to take care of each other like we used to in the home that we were taken from yeah. is meaningful mm. and that's going to help everybody do yeah. what they wanted to do the yeah. men and the women yeah so a little bit ago you talked about your worth and knowing that you were worthy um, and one question that I ask every guest here on Been Worthy Pod is, when did you realize that not only were you worthy of all the things that love and life had to offer, but you've been worthy and started moving and thinking accordingly? And before you answer this question, I read this quote that from you, that was the perfect segue into what I believe your answer will be. But you said, people have different ceremonies in life. Mine was getting my ass up off the ground and putting on my crown and moving forward. Yes. When was that moment for you? I think um, when I wrote that, I was actually being an imposter. Mm. I was still in the middle of the getting up. You know how you kind of rock a few times? Yeah. <laughs> hard to get up off the ground. Um, there were steps I had to take in order to get on my feet mm. emotionally. Um, I had a series of just gut punching, back breaking things happen. Um, it was one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons why I released the ceremony in 2021 when no one was going anywhere. I wanted people to hear beautiful ashes. I wanted them to hear running. I wanted them to to hear that word that says, "I travel way too many miles to be here. You can't tell me who I am." Walk through the valley of the shadow to be here. And I made my way downtown so I could tell you where it's at. Yeah. I wanted people to hear that and be able to get through. Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends of mine who lost their children to suicide in colleges during those times. And I just said, if I hold on to this music waiting for the perfect storm to come or another label or backing, you know, I, I might be doing a disservice to what my spirit was saying when I made it. I'm just going to drop it. Yeah. And it was the tree that fell in the forest that nobody heard, but the right people who needed to hear it. That's right. That meant everything to me. And sometimes you're going to make a move that people can't quite understand, but you have to keep doing what it is you came for. Um, me feeling worthy came... Um, when I finally stood up for myself and my son, 
Yeah. And my first video saying, hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. um, it came when I separated from a relationship I'd been in for 11 years, but yeah. probably been gone from for maybe back three or four. Yeah. Um, I discovered I was worthy when I started to forgive and thank my challenges um, more and get up every morning and um, know that they exist, but not allow them to rule me in with their contrast to really believe that every day is another opportunity for me to see God work for me, to see Ifa show up for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I saved my life and mm -hmm. also allowing sisterhoods to be in it. I discovered I was worthy because they always say, um, if you want to know who you are, look at your friends. Mm. Um, I've been so blessed, you know, to have people like Joy Gilliam, Duran Bernard, Erica Badu, um, Lenny Kravitz. It just, and I'm not name dropping, you know, I'm just saying that, that the mark of a human being is if they worked with somebody and they're still getting checked on by them um, and still supported by them. Yeah. Um, I'm very grateful for my life. Despite its challenges, I could definitely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've never been forsaken or hungry yeah. or for bread. Yeah. And I'm reminded of all those things I learned in church. And, um, you know, as a member of a Black, uh, as an African religious um, movement, I am a Yoruba. And yeah. One of the things I've also learned that that helps you stay in an attitude of worthiness is, you know, we believe that um, in order to please your ancestors and to please God, there are three things that must come before all else. One is yourself. You are actually the first person and you are God. Two is your family because God is in you and with your family. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> we love a celebration. <laughs> if I wanted to do that, I wouldn't be able to do it. And then three is your community because we cannot exist without community. No human being is an island. No artist, that's why you got producers, you got art directors, you got photographers, you got pastors, you got imams, you got babalabos. All of these people are part of the intricate village that helps you move. And once I discovered God for myself in myself, I loved her fiercely. Yeah. That's how I discovered I was worthy when I was willing to get rid of the stuff that hurt too much to get rid of. And I still did it anyway. Yeah. And then I found how amazing it is when you step out on faith and you release those things, how quickly God will step in and, and just pull you into your wildest dreams. Yeah. You know, like, even though I'm having this challenge with this custody situation, you know, I had no doubt in my mind that when my ex-husband and I are sitting side by side at our son's graduation, we will look back on this time where we differed in opinion about certain things. Yeah. And about where and, and whose house and what things um, that we'll laugh about that. That yeah. is my dream because yeah. this is done in the spirit of love. But part of being worthy is standing up for the things that you love, whatever mm -hmm. they be, whether it's Palestine or the Congo or your local church or the kids at the wreck. It's your job yeah. to find your worthiness somewhere, somehow. And that's how I found mine. Yes. Well, I love very beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Love that. And I also love it. You weren't name dropping, but how you casually just mentioned Madonna and all of those things. So when you're talking about singing with, alongside Madonna, Lenny Kravitz, Erica Badu, even um, Raheem, Raheem Devon, all of these greats who offer so such a unique perspective to music. How did it grow your artistry? What did you learn or what did it pull out of you? Because you have something has to pull up out of you from the depths of you when you're alongside such incredible talent. Of course. And um, you know, Raheem, I never saw some background for Raheem. Actually, Raheem and I came up together um here in DC yeah. and uh, we sung several duets. And you know, I mean, that's also just home energy. People really yeah sleep on DC too hard. Um, there's just so much talent that comes out of this city mm -hmm. and you know, the movement that we all started back then, Raheem and West, West Ellington with the crossroads, Cy Smith, um, myself, Eric Roberson, all of us came from this unique moment in music history in DC. And so I think that, that was definitely iron sharpening iron. No doubt, just iron sharpening iron. You know, yeah. that's George Maldro, George Ann Maldro. There's 
all of us for coming about Bilal used to sing background for Erica while I was there and you know so here it is I'm watching my homeboy blow up I'm really seeing my stuff we're all cross-pollinating and making music together uh, we were all just having fun yeah fun and um the cool thing for me is that I've always been my own artist while singing um, alongside other people, um, whether it's been Elvis Costello or Madonna or Lenny or Erica Badu. I've always, well, with Erica, I, I, I kind of felt like I was still traveling with a master. And I, I've definitely felt that with Lenny as well. And I do feel that I'm in a kind of a boot camp whenever I'm with these artists. Yeah. But also I recognize the value that I bring to these spaces. And I have never been anywhere that I don't level up with my own artistry by being there. And that's also been part of me understanding my self-worth in the marketplace as well. Um, when I work with artists, uh, I work with them as if I would want another background singer to work with me. Yeah. As if it's a vocation, um, as if a friend asked me to show up for them. And that's, I think, what makes me special in that way. And even being able to say I'm special is also a journey because... Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm a baby. I'm the daughter of a baby boomer, and those people raise their children not to think a whole bunch of themselves, because people used to get lynched for that. <laughs> so that yeah. was part of my healing journey too, like the unlearning of things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I was unlearning them, even in the midst of being with some of these incredible, notable artists, um, acting as if I wasn't a peer, or acting as if I wasn't a creative and um, musical equal. When I, I was, in fact, you know, I was I was born ready. Yeah. You know, ask anybody who worked with me as a child, ask anyone who worked with me as a teenager, ask anyone who's been around me as an adult. I've been ready. Yeah. You know, but I know that there were some developmental things that God had for me to learn so that I wouldn't just be pillar to post being run over by any and everything yes. or falling to pieces over any and everything that happens, you mm -hmm. know, like a boat tossed to and fro, like they say in the scriptures. Yeah. And um, I just lucked up to never end up with anybody while the drugs and the sex and the rock and roll were there. People always stood up a little bit straighter and treated me like little sis. And of course, you know, for protection, I'd be a lie to say I always wanted to be the girl who had a boyfriend and met, or eventually a husband. So I wouldn't have to deal with some of the rigors and stresses that a woman has to deal with on the road. Um, I know now that that's no real protection. <laughs> okay. A man is not protection. Word. Listen, <laughs> keep seats, girl. Please like him. Please make sure he has your back and will show up for you. Okay. A man can be a liability for y'all in the cheap seats. <laughs> I just like the wrong man. The right man can be like marrow to your bones, like a yeah. you know, a, um, the opportunity to cross pollinate one's dreams together and stand in the same direction together. So I'm not here to bash men. I love. I love man. I love yeah, you. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, they say that one of the most important decisions we can ever make is the person we choose to do life with. And so you if need they to be don't very intentional. Because if they don't selective. believe you then, they're not gonna believe in you later. If they don't <laughs> want you to, to dream big, then they're not gonna want you to dream big later. And there'll never be any amount of money or hot sex you give them that will make them love you if they don't know how to love anyone. That's male or female. Yeah. There are narcissists in every space. And as a queer woman, woman, I know that neither one, <laughs> neither one, all of everybody's crazy. Um, so it's super important to just be careful of the company, the sisterhood you have, your your people you call your people. Um, I never want to be in relationship, whether it is in love, business, or my life with people who aren't wed to my purpose. Mm -hmm. life is too short there's not enough time I only want to be with people who belong in my my little atom I got my main crew and then I got you know people I go to an event with and there's somebody who's good for a drink and then there's the people who love my music and they write right around here but I'm right there and you know don't come over here you fuck around and find out and that's <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean um I can love my world and understand that it can have a boundary yeah, it has saved my life. It has just—it's increased my art. It has helped me. It's helped me as I'm a newly single woman in these streets. It's helped me to govern myself with the same um, demand for respect I had when I was someone's wife or someone's mm -hmm. long-term partner. Just keep your back straight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Come correct. <laughs> One of the things I love about you, I've come to love about you, is how 
intentional you are with what you say and the words that come out of your mouth, um, even the words that you type. I looked on your social and there was something you sent under a recent post that said, um, I was selected to do the work because the ancestors knew I could. Today, I'm sharing a glimpse walk through my anthology. There is so much of my story I am ready to tell. Yeah. And I was like, girl, tell us. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm ready to tell. What are you saying right now? The best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. And I've been waiting for years for Dana to occupy the same space with Yazara. Mm. I named myself Yazara because I was standing in between, you know, China Black and, and Dombey Gilbert. And there's Erica Badu on stage. And when I walked into my audition, I was so nervous. You know, I gave them my family nickname. So for like five of the seven years I was out there, they called me Pop all the day. Not even five. Let me say four of the seven years I was out there, I was Pop. <laughs> She said, Yazra, you got you. I'm not Yazra. Uh, girl, you got some nickname your family call you. I said, P -p 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 Pop. And Pop is the worst nickname. The, the story. <laughs> I'm a faucet baby. And it was said when I popped out the natural birth. I'm and so my whole family for the rest of my life called me Pop. And we finish it with that. Had a whole song. It was mortifying. They do it at family dinners. Just that <laughs> I said, Pop. So here it is. I'm being called pop for the on stages throughout the world. <laughs> one day um, I was sitting there and I said, you know, I'm five foot one. I'm a tiny person. But when I sing, big things come out of me and I need a name to remind me to not shrink down to the size of a pea when I'm out here in this world, giving my gift and being myself. And yeah. so um, when I was 14, I met my father for the first time. Wow. Um, my, my mother met him on a pilgrimage to Africa. Her hostess had tried to um, physically attack her. And she was traveling in Africa in the 70s by himself. She had met him at the Ghanaian embassy. He came back, picked her up from where he she was. She had been covered in mosquito bites over 60% of her body and was dying of malaria. This is why I say I was not supposed to be born. Wow. And so my mother was battling malaria and my the woman who would be my grandmother was helping her back to health, praying over her, feeding her good foods and nursing her back to health with native medicines. And my father was helping her feel better in between. Yeah. And so she turned with a stowaway after being told she would never be able to have a baby without medical intervention. Um, name me and my father did, you know, to be fair, he did tell her he was going to get her pregnant if she made it. <laughs> I've been, I'm sure he was like six kids in, it's nothing. He has to know the formula. Um, so my, the woman who saved my grandmother's knife, life is named Yaa Junkoma, and that's my grandmother. And she passed away at the age of 103 wow. after helping to raise 29 children. 26 of them were girls. Three of them were boys of which my grand, which my father was her only surviving heir. And he just turned 90 years old this year. So, um, you know, I have a great deal of family history. And we're also linked to the house of Yasantiwa, who was a female warrior and queen who drove the British out of Ghana, West Africa, and saved the golden Ashanti soul of my people. So um, I, I genuinely thank God daily yeah. for um, knowing who I am. Mm -hmm. And having that connection to source. So Yah means queen mother. And Zara is the flip of my grandmother, Sarah's name, who is a, a child prodigy pianist who gave it up when she had my mother. And so um, I have a hat of hers I wear all over the world so that when I'm places, you know, she's with me because she sacrificed, sent me to the Cathedral Notre Dame in Paris to sing when I was 16, mm -hmm. just poured into me um, a great deal after losing so much. Um, because she lived in a world that when she got pregnant, wouldn't allow her to live out her greatness. Wow. Uh, so much so that when my mother wanted to play piano, my great-grandmother went to the family shed, got an ax and chopped our family piano to pieces. Wow. So, you know, I'm the first woman in four generations to truly do what I want to do, to live out my dreams. And so when I hear the name Yazara, it reminds me of whose shoulders I'm standing on, why I can't shrink and why I can't let anybody ever tell me again a lie about myself that I believe. Because I know who I am. And look who I came from. You know, women who started their own businesses. My mother and my grandmother were the first two women on the city block where they lived in, in D.C. to ever buy property in the entire neighborhood in Manor Park. 
and they dealt with extreme discrimination from people who looked just like them, who thought that because they were black and there was no man and they were dark skinned women that they didn't deserve to own property, throw their trash on the property, people with their kids beat me up, all types of things. But we pushed and pulled through and I did that so I could be me. Yeah. And and represent them in this world full and free. So Queen Mother is the brightest star. Yeah. That's me. I love it. Well, this is a perfect way to wrap this up. First of all, we've gone over way longer than what this conversation was supposed to be, but it was so full and you shared so much. And I know that it's definitely going to reach someone in such a big way. So again, I thank you for your transparency, your vulnerability, um, your heart, and just being open to sharing who you really are. Um, so we end this, this episode with a game. It's a rapid fire game. I'm going to share a word and you have five seconds or less to share the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear it. Are you ready? Drum roll. Okay, we've got our hats on. We're ready to go. Ceremony. And I'm supposed to give you one word? Yeah. Well, if, if it's two or three, it's fine. <laughs> Grounded in myself. Mm. Rebirth. Phoenix. Black women. From the ash. Oh, yes, yes. Keep going. Phoenix from the ash. Black women strong mm -hmm. and soft mm. artist creator mm -hmm. motherhood the best thing that ever happened to me i can't give you a word yeah yeah i, I was born to be a mother yes god me Mm -hmm. And last but not least, Yazara. You. Mm -hmm. Just like him. I love it. Work in progress. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was absolutely beautiful. I cannot wait for everyone to hear this. How can they stay connected? How can they support your music? How can they show up on tour and also participate in what you have coming up in 2024? Yes. So um, um, a different amount of who's an incredible artist from Canada um, by way of Brazil, Afro-Brazilian artist um, who I met through her husband while I was touring on tour with Madonna. She and I are putting together a tour. Um, our first stop is Washington, D.C., January 5th at the Carlisle Room. And then we'll be in New York City at Joe's Pub, January 23rd. And then I'm coming back to Durham to celebrate a decade of making music by reviving my very first project, my dear diary, my coming of age record, Hear Me. Um, because it was a record before its time and now everybody's ready to hear it. So I'm bringing it back as well as singing some songs from my other projects, the Ballad of Miss Purple St. James, the Ceremony and the Prelude. Um, I'm very proud of the work that I have coming. Um, booking dates in Dallas and Houston and Atlanta and Detroit next. So there will be dates. If you want to keep up with me, you can go to my Instagram at uh, Yazra, spelled Y-A-H-Z like zebra, A-R-A-H. And you can use my name for any of my handles. It is always Yazra. Um, please join my fan page. Keep up with what I'm doing. Um, I'm dropping a new NFT soon on Sound XYZ. So people will have a chance to become patrons of my art through that and help me to finance my next record, which will be my live in Paris record nice. that I recorded during the pandemic. Um, I was very blessed to do some live shows so I could remind myself that I'm still me. Yes. And I did an incredible performance for 150 tastemakers in Paris. And the engineer was so moved that he recorded the entire show for me and gave it to me for free and engineered it. And so it was an opportunity for me now to share um, the ceremony live. I even have Madonna's guitarist playing Purple Rain on one record. And so it's 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 amazing. And people have always wanted a live album from me. So now they're getting it. I love it. You all, please go support her. Don't walk, run. She is an incredible talent, an incredible mind. And I'm so honored that you got to, you gave us the opportunity to hear from you and bless this platform um, with your words, your talent. Thanks for singing a little bit for us. And um, we look forward to supporting you moving forward. Thank you. And also, you know, if you feel so moved, um, I do still have my GoFundMe. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes it's hard for me to talk about that now because I feel like I'm panhandling, but this is a movement. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a mother with her son under the right circumstances or help her in being able to assist co- in peaceful and fair co-parenting um, and you want that person to be me, please go to my GoFundMe and contribute. You know, whatever you contribute, I am grateful for, but I have to pay another $10,000 retainer to a lawyer so I can have somebody to represent me in yeah. court because that's the way that, that this country works. Um, but despite all that, I'm still happy and hopeful and continuing to give you my art. So support how do you me. find the GoFundMe where, what is it? under? Or if you send me the link, I can link it with the episode. I will. I'll send you the link. And also um, it's on my uh, Instagram page on my link tree. You can click right in it uh, and it'll tell you a little about what, what I'm dealing with. Of course, I don't give all the details because it's court. Yeah. Um, but just thank you all. If you feel so moved for to listen to my music or to contribute to my life's cause, that's a blessing to me either way. And thank you for having me so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you.